idea of Christmas is the idea of prophecy fulfilled. That they were looking and looking for the Emmanuel to come. That's why one of my favorite Christmas songs is, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And, and the idea of looking for him and waiting for him and the wonder of him and the fulfillment of what he had done uh, uh, tells us a lot about a God who tells us ahead of time what he's doing. And we saw in Amos, uh, God actually said that, you know, uh, surely I do nothing unless I reveal my secret to his servants, the prophets. And, and we call that the Amos principle, that God tells uh, ahead of time the big events that are coming. Uh, I, I want to remind you of something as we get ready to dig in. Be in Matthew chapter 1 and Isaiah chapter 7. But as you're turning there, don't forget these cards are available to help you invite friends to the Christmas Eve services uh, that are 7.30 and 11. Uh, and we're looking forward to that and being there. Uh, if you've never been baptized into Christ... By your choice, something you chose consciously to do in a conscious worship experience with the Lord. Something you participated in by choice and you knew what you were doing and you experienced Jesus. If you've never done that before uh, and you would like to do that on Christmas Eve, we would love to have you do it. It's just I want to give you a heads up. It's going to be done a little differently. Uh, we, because of time and because of wanting to make it special, putting those two together, uh, the way we're going to handle baptisms on Christmas Eve is we've decided we're going to bring the people who are being baptized together in a room. We're going to talk with you, pray with you, share with you. And, and then when worship begins, we'll have people coming and being baptized throughout the worship service. Uh, th their names will be on a screen so we know who they are. And then your friend can stand there and whisper and talk and share with you in an intimate way. And, and you'll be doing this with the Lord. We'll be worshiping him. It'll be an amazing way to do it. And we think that'll be the most meaningful way on Christmas Eve. Now, tonight you saw Michelle baptize her husband. And if you would prefer to have someone be able to share some things about you, uh, then we can do that in our other services. Uh, so if you've never been baptized, we'd like to make it the most meaningful way possible. Uh, but that's how we'll be doing it. I don't know if you heard about the doctor who is uh, getting older, and he decided it was time to hand over his practice to a younger doctor. He searched and searched and found this young doctor and uh, really thought he was good. He brought him into the practice. He started kind of hearing rave reviews. And then what he decided to do, rather than just saying, I'm done, he decided to migrate his patients slowly over to the young doctor. So he was really, really shocked when one day he was coming into the office a little later on purpose and he opened the door to see Mrs. McClary flying out the door from the main uh, examination room, just screaming in agony and terror and crying. And she ran right by him. He couldn't even stop her to find out what was wrong. And so he walks in and he looks at the young doctor. He said, that was Mrs. McClary. She ran out of here in hysterics. And the young doctor said, yeah, she got really upset when I told her she was pregnant. And the doctor said, pregnant? She's a great grandmother. Are you telling me she's pregnant? And he said, no, but it cured her hiccups. <laughs> that would be an astounding miracle, right? And, uh, you know, a, a miraculous birth. That's what we're talking about tonight. It's a miraculous birth that it would make sense that when God would choose to send the Messiah, who uh, according to Isaiah 63, and we're going to get there later, would actually be God himself. Uh, that God would look for, for someone to bring salvation to man, to rescue man. And God said, I couldn't see anybody to do it, so I chose myself to take this on. It would make sense that God would do it in a way that would be miraculous, incredible, and amazing. And yet there was so much simplicity to what he did by doing this in the womb of a virgin. Uh, last week we saw that 
the prophets told of a person and a time that the Messiah would come. And by the way, the prophets tell us of a person and a revisiting, a reconnecting uh, of, of Jesus appearing, a second coming that would happen. But, but now what we're looking at is a place, a place of the coming. And I, I'm going to say there are two places we're going to look to. One is the womb of a virgin. The other is a city called Bethlehem. And, and God would choose to reveal himself in that way. And look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, and it says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Je name Jesus, if you don't know, is Jehovah brings salvation, or Jehovah is salvation. And, and in verse 22 it says, Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken of by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and she called his name Jesus. It says this is fulfilled prophecy, Joseph. That, that centuries before, God revealed to Isaiah that he would call the Messiah forth through the womb of a virgin. That you would be looking for this would be wise for you to do. Because this is that time. And you're of the lineage that would help bring this about. And so was Mary. And, and he says, I want you to know what you're experiencing. I know it has shocked you. It has rocked your world. But the reality is it's fulfilled prophecy. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 7 where this prophecy comes. And, and if it's something you're very familiar with, it'll be good to look at again. And some of this may be new to you. But uh, let me tell you what sets this up. Uh, the land of Israel is not being obedient to the Lord. And Ahaz has not been a good king. And yet God has decided to protect them for a period of time. And what happens is two different kings have rallied their armies to sweep into Israel and come and take the, the kingdom from Ahaz. And his heart is just withered inside. He is so filled with fear and terror. He doesn't see any possible uh, ability they would have to fight these armies off. And Isaiah is being told by God, go and tell him that I'm going to deliver him. I want you to go meet him in a particular place with a, your son and to deliver a particular message. And, and I want you to tell him that I have a bigger plan than he even realizes for the city of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel. And so at chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Now it came about in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, and Rezin, or that Rezin, the king of Aram, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, the king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, and could not conquer it. When it was reported to the house of David, saying the Arameans have encamped in Ephraim, his heart and the hearts of all his people shook as the trees of the forest shake with the wind. I, I by the way, you may not get excited. I just think, wow, that's really cool. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, verse 3. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go now 
and meet Ahaz, you and your son, Shear Jashub, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. Now, now, I want you to key in on that. He says, I want you to go stand in a particular place. I want you to be at the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. And you're to bring your son, whose name literally means the remnant shall return or the remnant shall be saved. Now, this becomes extremely important to the prophecy of the coming of Jesus. The place it's delivered with the child standing there and the sign that would be given is an amazing prophecy that would happen. And notice it says, as he goes on in verse 4, And say to him, take care and be calm. Have no fear and do not be faint-hearted because of these two stubs of smoldering firebrands on account of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram, the son of Ramalia. Because Aram with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia have planned evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrorize it and make for ourselves a breach in its walls and set up the son of Tabeel as the king in the midst of the land. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. Their plot to overthrow you, their plot to take this city, you're afraid, your heart is shaking like trees in the wind. He says, they're nothing. I will overcome them. This will not happen. Their plan will not stand. And verse 8 says, for the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Now within another 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered so that it is no longer a people. God says, I want you to know within 65 years of time, I will destroy that people so much no one knows they exist. By the way, that, that happened. We know it happened. You know, I don't know if you've ever done your genealogy. Some of you might say, well, you know what, I'm from Ireland, or, or I'm Germany, or, or you know, I'm a, a continent, a section of Africa is where my people come from. But not one person here says, oh, I'm an Ephraimite. Have you noticed that? Because they were so exterminated, none left today. Wiped out. God said, I want you to know it's going to be a very short time. I'm going to do this. But, but here's where it gets very interesting. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. And if you will not believe, you shall surely not last. He goes, I want to tell you, it's time to start believing. It's time to trust me. It's time to call upon me. And the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, ask a sign for yourself from the Lord, your God. Make it as deep as Sheol and as high as heaven. Now, now, I want to stop there. Notice he said, I want you to ask me to show you a sign that this is true. Ask for the moon to, to be blotted out for a period of time. Ask for an eclipse of the sun. Ask for an earthquake. Ask for a great uh, a flurry to come. Ask for snow to hit in Corona, which I heard is supposed to happen at 3 a.m. tonight. Isn't that wild? A white Christmas. But uh, if you didn't know that, that's anyway. Uh, uh, ask for something astounding. And, and I want you to ask for something as high as the heavens and as low as Sheol, as deep as Sheol. Because God says, I'm about to give you a sign that's bigger than that, a sign that's higher than the heights of heavens and the depths of hell. It, it, it's the most astounding thing ever. And you can't ask for something big enough than what I'm about to tell you. And uh, notice what it says in verse 12. But Ahaz says, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Now we're going to come back to this, but i got to comment on it quickly. He, he says, I, I'm not going to get into anything with God. I'm not going to speak to him. I'm not going to talk to him. I'm not going to ask for him. He would rather cower in fear. He would rather look for some other out than to turn to God. 
And over and over, I think that's been repeated by persons and families throughout all of history. Where God says, I would love to give you this amazing life. Ask me to come in. Begin to obey me. Do things my way. And I want to tell you what's going to happen. You'll have the marriage like you can't imagine. A family like you can't imagine. A life like you can't imagine. And people go, no, I don't think I'll spend any time in prayer on it. I don't think I'll stay. I don't think. And over and over again, we see this. And God's saying, trust me. Call out to me. Let me love you. Let me guide you. Let me put my hand of protection upon you. And, and people just say no. That's what he has us about to do. But God's going to speak anyway. In verse 13, it says, Then he said, Listen now, O house of David, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will now try the patience of my God as well? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And this is where we're going. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will be called, or he will be called, she will call his name Emmanuel. And he will eat curds and honey, and at that time he knows enough to refuse evil and do good. For before the boy... Will know enough to refuse evil and choose good. The land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken. Now, I want to go back and, and, and look at a little bit of this. First of all, we, we got to notice where Isaiah was when this happened. He said to him, he says, I want you to go at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. This is very important. An upper pool was symbolic of the, the Holy Spirit and, and cleansing and the love of God and the, the, pers- the, the provision of God uh, uh, being on high. That's what they called it, the pool that was on high. And the water that was in it was symbolic of the Holy Spirit going to flow. And the rabbis discussed it and prayed about it and got excited about it. He said, I want you to be a place where the, the, the blessing from on high flows down to a place where people see cleansing. A laundryman's area. I want you to stand at that very spot where the blessing from on high comes flowing down and people are in a place of cleansing. Why? Because what I'm about to tell you is going to happen is that the blessing from on high will overshadow a young virgin and will bring a cleansing power to every single person who chooses, so much so that according to what Isaiah had prophesied earlier, that literally it doesn't matter if your sins are as scarlet, they will become white as snow and white as wool and God will cleanse you completely so much so that God will feel like it never happened before. And it starts with the blessing coming from on high into a place of cleansing. And he says, that's where I want you to stand and cry out to the, the people and to Ahaz that God is going to do this one day through a virgin. Uh, a miraculous birth, an amazing birth is going to occur. Now, now notice though something else, that where he was at is a very interesting place. You see, Later on, as a matter of fact, turn over to John chapter 7 with me. There's a particular feast that would happen in the days of Jesus. John chapter 7. And what happened is, it's the Feast of Tabernacles. And, and, and the Feast of Tabernacles was seven days long. And uh, so it's interesting that in John 7, look at verse 37. It says, now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out. Now, this is very interesting because what happens is Jesus is going to cry out about the coming of the Holy Spirit being like water that pours out like a fountain of life that's amazing. Remember where Isaiah stood. He stood where the waters flowed down to a place of cleansing. Now, why is that important? Because we know that Isaiah was told to stand at the bottom of the springs of Gahan. And that the Feast of Tabernacles was very interesting because it was celebrated with a different ritual. But one of the rituals that happened was every single day, 
the beginning of the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles, every single day, what would happen is the priests would gather together and it would be a procession that would go from the altar that represented where God would ask people to come for forgiveness of sins. And they would walk from that altar to the springs of Gahan and they would fill the water there because it's a sign of cleansing and a sign of life. And they would bring that water back to that altar and they would offer it there. And, and so what happened is Isaiah stood at the springs of Gahan in his day. And he said, God is going to do an amazing work, an amazing cleansing. And it will begin through the womb of a virgin where a child will be born. A son will be given. And, and he is going to be the Emmanuel, the God in the flesh that comes. And then... Centuries later, Jesus would stand on the last day, the great day of the feast at the springs of Gahan, probably, almost for sure, in the exact spot that Isaiah stood. And look at what he would say in John 7, verse 37. He would say these words. He would say, Now, on the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the spirit whom those believed in him would receive, for the spirit was not yet given or glorified. Now, uh, I, I know some of you already know this, but let me tell you that in the Greek, uh, the way that the tense is used and the verbs are used in there, what he was literally saying is he stood and cried out, if anybody thirsts, let him keep coming to me and keep receiving from me the living waters that will keep flowing out of you. Uh, uh, what we need to understand is the filling of the Holy Spirit was never designed to be a one-time experience. You do receive the gift of the Holy Spirit once Never to be taken from you when you give your life to Jesus Christ. But the filling, the overflowing, the outpouring of it is something we need to keep seeking from him. We see that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit on at least four different occasions. We see it's a repeated act. Paul commands us, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled. And in the word there, it's even be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Keep coming and seeking that. And God wants us to do that. God's great desire is that we do that. And, and Jesus, again, don't, and I hope you grabbed it, the, Isaiah stands and says, it's coming. The, the blessing from on high is coming to bring an amazing cleansing in your life. And Jesus stands in the very same place, crying out an invitation on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles at the spring of Gahan, and says, the blessing from on high is coming. The Holy Spirit will be given. And if you want it, it's going to fulfill the greatest desires of your life if anybody thirsts if there's something you think is missing if there's something you think's not right not there if you thought oh i thought it would be more he says i'm not only gonna gonna quench that thirst i'm gonna cause a geyser to come flowing up out of you now now if you haven't caught this though isaiah's over here and he goes now nah, i don't want it Ask for a sign as high as the heavens, as the depths of hell. Because no, I don't want to see God do an amazing thing like that in my life. I don't want God's protection. I'd rather go from here and cower in fear and not trust in a God who could wipe out those two kings in a moment. I'd rather try to make it on my own. Now, here's where I'm going. Jesus called out for you and me. And how many of us today go, wow, that's awesome. Now, I don't want it. Maybe you don't say it, but do we seek it? Do we ask for it? Or do we go, man, I don't know, life is so hard. You know, we don't go to God and, and get the help. 
uh, uh, you know, man, I really feel like so much is missing. And we don't go to the Lord and, and seek for that. And, and why is this again important? It's because when Isaiah stood there, he stood with his son, whose name literally meant the remnant will receive, the remnant will believe, the remnant will be kept. And, and this is why I want you to grab this, is because part of this prophecy that comes from Isaiah is that it's offered to everyone, this great calling out, this great desire for you to experience. It's offered for everyone, but very, very few will receive it. Not because God doesn't want them to. Very few actually experience this life. You see, it's interesting that when the procession would come to the springs of Gahan, they would actually sing a, a phrase of scripture over and over again as a great choir. It was in Isaiah 12, verse 3. Therefore, you will joyously draw waters from the spring of salvation. This is a place of joy. This is a promise that God's going to do this in a way that just gushes forth. And Jesus stands and says, if you want this promise fulfilled, come to me. Admit the thirst in your life. Cry out to me. And I keep coming to me. Don't just come once. Keep receiving. Keep asking. Keep sharing. Keep being a part of this. And very, very few people will. You know, it's a, a scary truth. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. But narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way that leads to life, and there are few that find it. There's only a remnant, only a few that ever really receive it. By the way, I, I need to do a, a parenthesis, but I think it's an important one. We're gonna, it fits what we're saying, but I want you to kind of stop and think a little bit differently with me. If your theology is correct, biblically, if you and I are handling the word accurately, then here's the point. The, the, the true message of salvation is one that's only received by a few. See, some people have a belief system where everybody's saved. Everybody goes to heaven. Everybody receives. The truth of the matter is, in this life, we see that not everybody's receiving, and we know that. But we, we get afraid to get real honest about this. Jesus said it, not me. Jesus stated it. And by the way, it's so amazingly clear you can't miss it. You know, I mean, he says there are very, very few who are going to find the way to real life. But the way to, the, the way to hell, the way to being lost is broad and wide and easy to travel down. And the majority are going to go there. And uh, uh, we need to know that it's not because God doesn't want them to be saved. As a matter of fact, over and over in Scripture, we see God calling out saying, come and connect with me. Come and live life with me. Come have an intimate relationship with me. Come be loved by me. Come experience the life you were made for. And, and people don't do it. You know, in the tabernacle, uh, uh, we see a, a pretty interesting way of God teaching this. The tabernacle was set up and every single person was invited to come to it. To come and experience the love of God. In Exodus 33 verse 7, there was initially an invitation given. And Moses said this. It says in, in verse 7, now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp a good distance from the camp. And he called it the tent of the meeting. Now why is it called the tent of the meeting? Because God would like to meet with us. It says, and everyone who sought the Lord would come out to the tent of the meeting which was outside the camp. Now I want you to think about this. As far as we know directly from Scripture, 
Millions of people were told, here's the tent of the meeting. Come and meet with God. He wants to meet with you. He wants to share with you. And everyone who chooses this can come and meet with him. And as far as we know, do you know how many people actually showed up? Two. Everybody was welcome. And people just didn't come. Uh, think about this. When the tabernacles finally finished being constructed, uh, the outer court area where you could stand and look in on worship. I mean, you could get real close to it. Uh, uh, you could actually be within the inner circles of it, but not really in the midst of it. People who got close to God. The outer court, when God designed it, was 150 feet by 75 feet. You know, when you read Leviticus and you hear in Exodus and you go, well, make it this size. I want you to make the outer court 150 feet by 75 feet. A lot of us go, that is so boring. Who cares? But let me tell you why it's interesting. Because God invited millions of people to come and experience worship, but he only made an area large enough for 1,000 people to show up. And the answer isn't because he didn't want the rest. It's God knew that even with the millions and millions of people out there who could choose to be a part, maybe 1,000 would even care to get close to worshiping him. Maybe it would rotate to as high as 3,000 in a day. But very, very few people would come and get close to God. Inside of the the tabernacle was the tent. It was 45 feet by 15 feet, uh, about the size of our stage area up here. And, and, and God says, here's where I want to meet with you. You could come and stand out here and watch other people meet, or you're welcome to come in and meet with me in, in the holy place. You do need to do some cleansing. You need to be intentional. Uh, you need to seek to want to meet with me. God says, here I am, come. But the area is only about, uh, in the holy place, is only about 30 feet by 30 feet. Uh, and it's only about 900 square feet. And, and it would only hold about 50 people at a time if they all came in. And God knew that if the 1,000 or 3,000 that would get close and kind of watch, only about 50 at a time would even choose to come and really, really enter his presence. And, and then the Holy of Holies was only 225 square feet, which would hold at the most 20 people. And obviously in the original construction, only the high priest could come in. But when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn. And you and I were invited into the Holy of Holies with God. But very, very few will choose to go. You see, it's scary to know that according to a, a, a recent survey done by George Barna, 45% of the people in the United States, 45% say they have actually had a born-again experience. That was the question. Have you not, not just do you believe in God, but have you experienced God in a way that brought true conversion in your life where you met him and you were born again? 45% of the people said that they have. And then they asked this question of those who had said, yes, I've had a born-again experience. They said, well, then do you practice daily prayer and reading of Scripture and worship and seeking after God? Of the 45% the who said, yes, I've experienced an initial meeting of God, only 7% say I ever put any effort into a relationship with him. And, and what do we see being repeated? We see Isaiah calling out to Ahaz saying, come and let God move and protect you and love you. He goes, no, I, I don't think I want that. And Jesus standing and calling out going, come. Keep coming and believing and receiving. And, and, and then we see the tabernacle is built because deep down we know not very many people are going to show up. And 
maybe the thing that we, we see happening over and over and over again is people initially stopping and saying, you know what, I do believe in this Messiah who was born of a virgin. I'm going to buy into that. And then it's like, well, come and experience him. Come and ask of him. Come and be with him. Come and worship him. Come be loved by him. Come be and join with him in living life. And lots of people won't do it. Now, I know if you're listening, and I hope you are, you're going to say, Chuck, well, wait a minute. Are you saying this takes works? This takes effort? And the answer is yes. James did say faith without works is dead. Now, you don't earn your salvation, but I want to tell you this. You don't have a great relationship with God on accident. Not by osmosis. The Bible over and over talks about the need for us to put out effort to seeking him. It actually says, seek me, God says. In Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, uh, for, God says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. He goes, then you will call upon me, and then you will seek me and find me when you search for me with half your heart. Is that what it says? No, no, what's it say? When you search for me with what? All your heart. God says through the apostle James, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. God, God says, I want you to know, I, I want to be intimate. I want to be close. Let me give you a promise here tonight. You could be as close to God as you want to be. You can experience God at a height that you choose to. God actually lets you have the choice. And it's amazing that when we really look at the prophecy of the virgin, that's what we see being offered. The blessing from on high that brings cleansing into your life and rejuvenation and the flow will only be received by a remnant. That's what we see. And, and it gets scary because that's not what God wants. God's great desire is for you and I to look and you and I to dig in and you and I to be a part. And, and he wants that to happen. Now remember what, what Isaiah said to Ahaz. He said, ask for a sign. Look for something that God's about to do. And what is Ahaz's answer? No, I, I don't want to do that. And by the way, I want to tell you, uh, again, when we even think about the whole idea uh, of prophecy, what we need to understand is that God does say, study, search, seek, and I'm going to start showing you things. I'm, I'm, I want you to look. I want you to study. We saw that last week. I want you to carefully search this out. Next week, we're going to see a man named Simeon did that in an amazing way, and, and he had an amazing interaction with God. But it's so sad he refuses, Ahaz does, because Ahaz then, again, will go on being afraid of his enemies and miss on blessing and cleansing. And we see that in Matthew chapter 1 also. Uh, holding on to Isaiah, look back at Matthew 1, and I want you to see something here. Uh, because this, to me, is just the most amazing part of the Christmas story. It, I always get intrigued by this. And, and actually, go to Matthew chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, so the virgin gives birth to a child in Bethlehem. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where will the Messiah be born? Now notice this. He, he brings in the scribes and the chief priests. He said, now, now there's these people who have been watching for a sign of the Messiah. They said they've seen his star and his sign of the Messiah. Where will he be born? And notice what they say. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means the least among 
the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, now notice the next couple verses. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I may come and worship him. So, so here's my point. From thousands of miles away in a nation probably called uh, 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 our day and time, Iran. Some men were studying the book of Daniel, and they realized the time of the coming of the Messiah. They sought carefully to know it. They look and find his star in the east. They travel a great distance, a great expense, and great effort to go and be in the presence of the Messiah. And when they get there, they get in front of the scribes and the priests, all who have way more scripture to look at and way more ability to study. And they turn and they say, where is he? And they say, oh, the prophecy is clear. He'll be born in the city of Bethlehem. And they're like, isn't that incredible? And who goes to experience the presence of the Messiah? How many chief priests go? How many scribes? Nobody. They believe it's the city. They know it's the time. They've got an amazing sign standing in front of them, the Magi. And they say, why don't you guys go find out for me? You see, that's where I'm going with this. Is like, Do you understand, and I hope you do, that this, the saddest part of this story is God sent Jesus to create a path of love and relationship that's amazing. And how many people stand out there going, well, that's really nice for you. I hope you do it. Tell me what it's like to be in the presence of God. When God says, why don't you come and experience it with me? You come be a part of this. You come let this happen. Today in our world, I, I think that very often what we've done is, is we've closed our eyes to what's happening around us. People today refuse to look at what is coming on this world in a time like this. Uh, I, I mentioned it before, and we'll get into it more towards the end of the month, but, you know, hey, when you live in a time where we could have a cashless economy and you can't buy or sell unless you have a mark on your right hand or forehead, and the word forehead is the word meta-opon, which means in the midst of the eye, uh, when you live in a time where your disease is being talked about that could wipe out one quarter of the world's population in a very short period of time, when you live in a time where people can look into the skies and have a far-off distance view of an asteroid that's going to hit the world and cause great havoc, and during the time in which we spot it and the time it comes, it's going to cause great fear upon the nations of the world. If you live in a time where millions of people uh, 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 matter of fact, the whole world can, can watch in one place in the rest of the world bodies laying in the streets and watch that live. There's never been a time like this. And by the way, that's not the most pronounced prophecy of all that tells us we're in those days. And, and people, are, are, God says, this is what I want you to see. I want you to know. I want you to keep your eye on this. And Jesus said in Luke 21, verse 28, but when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And then he told them a parable. Behold, the fig tree and all the trees, as soon as they put forth leaves, you see it and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not take, uh, pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So what are we supposed to do? Listen to what Jesus says. Be on guards so your heart will not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of the life. And the day will come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of the earth. But keep on alert at all times. Praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and be able to stand before the Son of Man. 
Now, now what I'm getting at here is that, that we had a prophecy from Isaiah and a prophecy from Daniel. And we come in a prophecy from Jeremiah. And they all come together about the birth and the place of the Messiah. And, and it's amazing to me that people that studied this refuse to look and refuse to be a part and refuse to dig into it. Because the greatest prophecy of all is it would not be an ordinary child. He would be the Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. Turn to Isaiah 63 with me, and I want you to look at this prophecy of the coming of the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 63. While you're turning there, I want to say, though, it is true that while the majority will, for some reason, choose not to seek a relationship with the Lord, it's exciting that there are those who do. Remember, it's for everybody. It's not just for a few. But Isaiah wanted a relationship with the Lord so badly he was caught up into heaven and cried out for cleansing. And God cleansed him. And then God said, whom shall I send? And he said, here I am, send me. And he had this amazing relationship. He lived with God. It's exciting that a girl probably 13 years of age was seeking God with all her heart and she caught the attention of the Lord in an amazing way and an angel stood before her and said, Mary, you shall be with child and it shall be of the Holy Spirit. And what was Mary's reaction? She said, here I am, the handmaid of the Lord. Let, let God do as he pleases. And she lives this amazing life in intimacy with God. It's exciting that there are those who do choose to be close to God. Many of you who are here are living in an amazing contact with him. But God marvels that, that more don't want to have an Emmanuel experience, a God with us experience. And, and in Isaiah 63, uh, he talks about his judgment, but he also talks about a desire for mercy. And I want you to notice what happens here. It says, who is this that comes from Edom with garments of, my Bible says, glowing colors from Basel? Now, Now, the word glowing is the word literally crimson. Who is this that steps forth with blood red robes? And he stands out, and it goes on to say, this one who is majestic in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I who speak in righteousness, and, and notice this, mighty to save. The question, why is your apparel red and your garments like the one who treads the winepress? And the answer back from the Messiah. I have trodden the winepress alone. And from the people, there was no man to help me or to be with me. Now, three times, there's this marveling by God. No one seemed to care enough to come alongside and, and help others and seek this. It says, he goes, I also trod them in my anger and trampled them on my wrath. And their life bread, blood is sprinkled on my garments. And I stained all my raiment. For the day of vengeance was in my heart. And my year of redemption has come. And I looked and there was no one to help. And I was astonished and there was no one to uphold. So what did he do? God looked down and said, everybody deserves judgment. Everybody deserves to have a time of my anger unleashed upon them. Their lives are to be required. No one is willing to step in. And so notice what it says. So my own arm brought salvation to me. He said, so I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll come and save. The Emmanuel, God with us, the fulfillment of a Messiah in flesh, who is actually God in flesh, would come on purpose. Why? He goes, because my wrath upheld me, and I trod down the people in my anger, and I made them drunk in my wrath, and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. He said, I've got to do something to save people who deserve this kind of judgment. I've got to do something. And then in verse 7, notice what's said next. I shall make mention of the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that he has granted, and the great 
great goodness towards the house of Israel, which he has granted them according to his compassion and according to the stubborn abundance of his loving kindness. And he said, surely they are my people, but their sons who have done falsely. So he became their savior. And in all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. And in his love and in his mercy, he redeemed them. And he lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. I don't want to read verse 10, but you can look at it. They rebelled. Isn't that sad? Maybe you haven't caught what it is. The Lord says, I look at what mankind has done to one another. I look at the way the evil is in the world. And my anger wells up within me. And I say, why can't people get it? Why can't they stop? Why can't I do something in this moment? And he says, it's going to be unleashed. And he says, but if it's going to be unleashed, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to come and provide salvation. I'm going to go and stand in the way. The blood that's going to be spilled is going to be my blood. And I'm going to take their afflictions. And I'm going to be their savior. And my loving kindness is going to be poured out upon them. And my compassion. And he said, it's, it's for you. It's for you. And this virgin shall give forth a son named Emmanuel who will come to bring salvation upon the world. But not very many people will want it. Not very many will say yes. And even of those who say yes, how many will seek to live in a committed way with him? To really say, God, I want to be close to you. I want your love. I want to experience an intimate relationship with you where you love me as a father and I'm your child. And God wants that so badly. So badly as I know that it struck me years ago, he moved heaven and earth so that he might come and stand in our place. And I think this is really important to say. Did you notice it says there, not just for our sins, in verse 9, in all their affliction he was afflicted. When Jesus did communion with the apostles, he took what was called the bread of affliction and held it up. If he had done it according to Passover, he would have held it and said, this is the bread of affliction that reminds us of all the afflictions that our forefathers experienced in the land of Egypt. And then he broke it and said, this is my body. Now, now, now catch what this is. He didn't just come to cleanse you of your sin and my sin. He came to take our hurt, our pains some of which we self-inflicted, some of which other people inflicted upon us. But he said, I want to make the change in your life so incredible that if you keep coming to me and you keep seeking me, that out of you will flow the joyous living waters of the Holy Spirit that will gush like a geyser into a life that you can't imagine. Keep coming, keep experiencing, keep being a part of this. And if some of us say, I don't deserve it, the Lord's going to go, oh, it's not about deserving, it's about seeking it. And if you say, but I mess up, Jesus is going to say, but that's that's why I died on the cross for you and stood in your place. If you say, I don't feel holy enough to enter the Holy of Holies, guess what he says? The blessing from on high will come and cleanse you completely. Come, come, experience my love and live life with me. That's the great cry of the virgin that would give forth a child. And uh, for the vast majority of us that are here tonight, we've said yes to this. But it's incredible to know that so many people stood looking at this sign and said, well, that's good, but... I don't want to go take part. Tonight, if you aren't in an intimate relationship with Jesus, close to him, experiencing him, 
meeting with him and truly knowing him, then I want to encourage you more than ever tonight to make the night you don't stand from afar off and you don't wonder if it's for you. You say yes to it. And, and you know what is, is it, it's all Ahaz had to do to say, show me. But he didn't do it. Tonight, there's no reason you should walk out of here and not be close to God. Not experiencing his love, not experiencing his leading, his guidance, his passion. There's no reason you should walk out. And tonight, if you, and again, you're not in an intimate relationship with him, I want to let you know that the, the Holy Spirit cries out, come. Jesus stood on that day and said, come. And it doesn't matter what you've done because his cleansing is so powerful. He can erase from your life things that hurt you and afflict you you ever did. It doesn't matter how bad you've been hurt because he can erase and heal that. Uh, but what does matter is are you willing to let him? And if you've never done it before, how do you do it? Well, what you do is you pray a prayer where you say, oh, Lord, I want this. I want cleansing. I want a new life. I want to be who you made me to be. I want to live the life you have for me to live. And I want to live it with you. And here I, here I am. I'm coming. And I'll draw near to you. And God says, if you'll draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. Tonight, if you used to be close to God, but you're not right now. The Bible says, how do you enter back in that relationship? You pray the prayer again and begin to live it again. And tonight, if you either need to commit your life to the Lord or recommit, I'm going to invite you during this prayer time to do it. Let's pray. Father, I ask and pray that your Holy Spirit would come in this room in a powerful way. Jesus, you cried out on that day of the great feast at the springs of Gahan. And you said, if any man thirsts, let him come to me. And out of his heart will spring forth rivers of living water. Not just a drink, but gushing geysers. And tonight I pray if there's someone here who's feeling dry, whose life's not exciting and passionate, who feels tired, and I just pray now they would want to say those words to you, Lord, here I am. I'm coming. God, fill me. I say yes. And I pray tonight, Lord, you would just begin to burst forth joy in their hearts as they receive it, love and care and, and, and a direction. And Father, I want to pray if there's someone here tonight who's not committed their life to you or they've not recommitted and they need to. Lord Jesus, I ask your spirit would come. I pray you'd move in this room. I pray you'd touch and call. And I pray tonight there would be some men and women, some guys and girls, who would sense your call and touch and how you're, you're wanting them to draw near to you. And they would be willing to pray that prayer to commit themselves. God, I pray it would stir within them now and they would want this. I'm going to ask that we keep praying. And if you're right with God, would you pray for anybody who needs to make this commitment? But I'm going to lead that prayer right now. I'll say a line and stop and let you right where you're sitting whisper it to God. But I'd like to know if God's touching anybody tonight or if you want this relationship with him, and if you do, and you're going to pray this prayer with me right where you're sitting, I want to ask you to let me know you're going to do it by lifting your hand in the air and looking at me, and then you can put it down. Wow, praise God. That is so awesome. Praise the Lord, you guys. Praise God for you. Wow, praise God for each one of you. And for you, praise the Lord. Wow. That is awesome. Let me take a second more. I really want to see who's praying this prayer. It helps me to know. If I haven't seen you yet, just lift your hand where I can see you. Know that this is your time. Praise God for you and for you. I'll praise God for each one of you. Second more. Let me just look around a little bit more. I, I really want to know who God's touching and calling. 
Okay, all of you that God's moving in, right now, just whisper these words with me. Say this. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurts, to cleanse me, to make me alive, and to make me new. So I say yes. I want this, and I want you. So I open up my heart to you. Please fill me with your love, and fill me with your spirit, and help me be who you have always created me to be. And help me live the life you have for me to live. I'm yours now. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, praise God for all of you that prayed that prayer. Praise the Lord. Man, praise God.